Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. As you know, our show's mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. And so we want to do this in a number of ways. We want to offer you great content with amazing guests, with topics that were relevant to you. And so if you're an organizational leader and you're wrestling, maybe you have an issue you're dealing with currently in your office, uh, maybe something personally you're dealing with as a leader, or maybe you're just looking for help and whatever that looks like, we would love to turn a whole episode um, to your topic. So please send us an email. Um, or if you just know of a great individual who would make an awesome guest for our show or someone that you would love to hear from, please send us their contact information along uh, so we can try to see if they'd be a good fit uh, for our show and offer you the best content we can. If either of these apply to you, we would just love uh, to hear from you. So send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-E-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Again, R-O-I-P-O-D at I-E-P-U-I Edu. Well, how many organizations, um, how many individuals, I should say, uh, are get really excited? They have this dream of, man, what would it be like to work abroad? You know, we, we get through college, we work our way up into our organization, and we find out maybe there's an um, international division, or we just have it in our minds that we think, you know, before we really kind of settle down, we want to go explore the world and see what it has to offer. And so we seek out you know, amazing positions and organizations that offer this opportunity of a lifetime to go and work anywhere around the world, whether that be permanently, whether that be remotely, um, you know, there are just so many opportunities, but there are a lot of challenges, you know, as, as you move, because at some point there's a honeymoon phase with even moving abroad. It seems so amazing and it seems so fun until you get there and three months later realize, wow, this is a heck of a lot different than I was expecting. There, there are things I didn't even realize um, I missed until they're gone. But the ultimately is how do we be the best leaders through that? How do we make sure that when we show up that we're being the best versions of ourselves, that we're making amazing memories with our family, and we're being incredible leaders along the way. So if this is you, if you're getting ready to work abroad, or maybe you're just interested and you're wanting to know what it is like to actually work abroad and kind of put this in your plan, this episode is for you. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Mike Healy. He's the CFO for the Asia Cluster cluster at Sandoz, which is a leading which is a leader in offering access to generic and biosimilar medicines worldwide. Mike, welcome to the ROI podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. I also need to note, too, you're a, you're a Kelly alum as well, which is super exciting. We love having our alum come back um, and be a part of the school. Thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an obvious choice for me to go to Kelly way back when, in uh, 1988, when I quit my working uh, job at the time, working full-time, and uh, joined the program, and I absolutely loved it. It was uh, one of my most memorable two years. So let's talk about, you know, you are the CFO of the Asia Cluster uh, for a pharmaceutical company. You know, so how did you even land in this role? Is this something you were eyeing? Or, you know, talk about your story on how you, how you became uh, a CFO of a company abroad. Thank you. So I, I guess it, it sort of starts back to uh, dating my wife. And I know that sounds funny, but um, she, she worked in the travel industry. And uh, specifically at the time we were um, first getting married, she worked for a cruise line. And as a result, we got to travel a lot and her family business was in travel. And that really opened my mind to cultures and, and the potential for living abroad. And at the time, um, shortly, after, well, in fact, out of K 
Kelly, I took a job with Eli Lilly, and I always had in the back of my mind, wouldn't it be cool if? And um, so we began to explore the opportunities after about six or seven years with Lilly. And um, eventually, and I can tell you as much detail or you know granularity as you want, eventually something popped and that was in Australia. And, and it was mind-blowing opportunity. And uh, I, we decided very shortly after we moved there, this is where we'd like to call home. It was a, just a wonderful place, um, Sydney. And that led us on a journey of of 20 plus years in Australia and New Zealand. And then I landed this job in um, Singapore, working in the same sort of industry, generic pharma instead of, you know, innovator pharma, if you will. And uh, there's a lot of stories in between, but that's the short and dirty. And I want to talk about, you know, that being being young and, and being excited and, and doing that, you know, that what if, because so many of us go, man, like, what if, like, what if we just went for it, um, you know, and you just kind of took those steps, you know, talk about some of those steps um, that you, you've had to take or, you know, things that you had to tell yourself that, that ultimately allowed this opportunity to happen when, when those opportunities were present. The first thing is opening your mind to the possibility, because um, I, I think if somebody comes to you and just says, hey, do you want to move overseas? Um, and you haven't thought it through, uh, it would be a really overwhelming concept. So I think you have to prep your mind um, and maybe even your body eventually for life overseas. And um, again, it doesn't happen overnight. And, and I think you, you ideally are targeting certain geographies, certain cultures, certain language skills you may have that might adapt, uh, any number of things that you feel might be a, quote, culture fit. And um, hopefully it's within the company you're in, but it may not be. You may you may genuinely try to land a job on your own overseas. And that requires a whole different set of prep if it's not a company move. So I think there's a, a lot to it. Um, but I think it starts with opening your mind to the possibility. And if you've never been overseas, it's almost impossible to open your mind to something you haven't experienced in any way. So I encourage people to take a gap year and you know, or a year after school and travel. It's becoming more and more accepted. And I think that helps you to prepare your mind for work and life overseas. Let's talk about that specific moment. You know, this was, it started with a what if, and, you know, you started to think about and started to work about, um, you know, getting uh, this position abroad. But talk about that moment when you found out that not only did you get it, but then, no, this is, this is real. Like you are going to have to move take your family and head over uh, halfway around the world. You know, what, what was going through your head and how did you start to prepare? Interestingly, um, when I expressed interest, they started looking for opportunities for me. And it's and in this context, working with Lily, it was um, you know there's a footprint in virtually every country that's worth living in, and um, not that aren't all countries aren't worth living in, but you get the point. And uh, but the first the first offer was Mexico City at a time when you know Americans were being abducted and kidnapped and whatever. Um, and we I said I have three small children. I really don't want to be an insurance payoff for them. And so, uh, no. Uh, then the next one was, well, if that doesn't work, how about Moscow? And I went, uh, no. So my first two experiences with the presentation of an international move um, were at a time when those places weren't good places to live. And this is going back into the you know late 90s. And so um, I was getting disappointed, actually. And uh, I think they sensed my frustration and an opportunity opened up in Australia. And when they said that, um, knowing that the Olympics were coming nine months later into Sydney and we would be in Sydney and um, what a wonderful place um, Australia is um, and, um, you know, clean and safe and all that. 
we just jumped on the first plane they'd let us to, to get on. So it was really um, forged in a little bit of disappointment um, over maybe not getting what we had expected and then going the other side of the dial to off the charts excitement for uh, an opportunity to move overseas. There's a lot of logistics. You know, I think one of the biggest, most important logistics is, you know, getting your family bought in. You know, a lot of our listeners um, are young managers uh, with, with families, you know, varying ages of kids and, and uh, wives and husbands. You know, how how do did you even begin that process when this became real? Because, uh, you know, being married, we always have those what if moments or those what if conversations with my wife. Like, oh, what if this? Oh, that'd be so great. And then the moment the moment it becomes an opportunity to be real, you go, "What did we sign up for? Are we really sure? Like we knew what we were talking about?" You know. So, so as someone, you know, as leaders, you know, we do have to lead our families as well. You know, how did how did you begin there? How did you begin to prepare your family um, and talk about? You know, were they on board? Was there some pushback? You know, and how did you navigate um, getting your family? Uh, in on this big move. Well, it's funny because, you know, when you think about the family, you think about your, your spouse and your children, if you're blessed to have any, but you also think about your extended family, your parents, your um, in-laws, your cousins, nephews, brothers, sisters. It's um, there's a little bit of sales pitch that needs to happen there because they think you're running away from them. Um, and, um, oh my gosh, I'll never see you again. And it's so far away, especially Australia. Like it takes a day to get there. Right. So, you know, it's that concept of I'll never see you again, blah, blah, blah. And, um, uh, that, that is difficult to manage uh, because you need, it needs a lot of conversation and a lot of reassurance, particularly in an, in an era 20 plus years ago, where we didn't have the technology, um, to cheaply keep in touch today. It's a, FaceTime phone call and you can see your mom real time anywhere in the world and she's happy, you're happy and you didn't have to travel. Um, in terms of my spouse, my spouse, Heidi, she was, you know, all over it. She wanted to move internationally. It had been a dream for her forever. She had spent time in college living in uh, London area. So for her, it was a done deal. And our kids were one, three and five at the time. Uh, three boys that are now, you know, 20 something, <laughs> they're all 28 and younger. So they didn't really have a choice. And for them, it was an exciting journey, which, um, you know, there's a lot of great stories along the way of, you know, being in school for a five-year-old. And he says, all right, Connor, today you can be the school leader, take us out to the veranda. And he just starts walking around the school, leading everyone, not knowing what a veranda is. So, you know, we could talk a lot about, you know, the realities of living somewhere and the language differences and the cultural differences. Um, but it impacts the whole family. And it's something you really need to think about, as you point out. Talk about, you know, looking back as a father, let's say for, for maybe there's people out there that have, um, you know, kids that are maybe a little older, you know, fortunately when you have younger kids and they don't really get a choice or really fully understand, you know, what is happening, um, it's a little easier, but you know, you have a 13 year old, a 14 year old, um, starting in that age of, you know, rebelliousness or, um, just pushback, you know, I mean, how, how would you looking back in hindsight and having, um, fatherly wisdom, how would you have led those conversations um, if that were to happen, uh, you know, later in, in your ch- kid's life? And I think you, you pointed out um, some really tough years to transition children. And I think it does take a lot of um, uh, perspiration, inspiration, and, you know, dare I say leadership, because you do need to, um, you know, get them across the line, uh, because otherwise they can make your life very challenging, um, children at that age. I, I think the key is to be really transparent and and have a conversation and to the degree you can get buy-in with the entire family. Um, again, it's a harder sales pitch for certain age groups, but, but I think you just need to talk about the benefits 
of living overseas, particularly if it's a, a new language they might be able to learn, um, a new skill set. Um, maybe they have a certain a love in life and, um, and that love in life can be expanded upon. You know, maybe they love to hike in the, in the mountains. Well, we're going to go to, you know, Buenos Aires and we'll be able to go to Peru and we'll be able to do this. And we'll be, oh, pretty soon their mind opens up to the possibilities and the things that tick a few of their own boxes. And I think you just need to be really transparent about the opportunity with kids. And, and, and you also need to listen because they have a strong view and they can make your life a living, you know what? So it's uh, really important to engage. And, and, you know, before I jump into like the, a lot of the mental preparation um, as a topic I want to get into, uh, you know, clearly, like you were alluding to when you have to say goodbye to family or I mean, not really goodbye, but hey, see you later. Um, you know, we will see you later. It's it's not as simple as just packing up a U-Haul and then driving across no. the country and then getting there. You know, there's a lot more that goes into and a lot more planning. Um, obviously, the having to go into how do you get all of your belongings um, and take care of everything here in the state so that you can move abroad. You know, walk through the logistics of, you know, selling your house and selling everything or deciding how you're going to, you know, get there um, to get across the ocean and, and start. I had the benefit. Uh, again, I no longer work there, but um, Eli Lilly made it really easy, particularly at that time um, where it becomes sort of a corporate executive move and they they showed me a lot of love. So um, they made it easy. But in terms of process, you know, yeah, we, we had to sell our cars. We had to sell our home. We had to get rid of a lot of furniture because not only does it not fit into a 20 or 40 foot container, um, sometimes all you want to travel with is your, your luggage. And, um, you know, of course, that's hard to do when you have three small children and a large family, growing family. Um, we had to give away our dog and our cat. Um, we gave those to family members. Um, what else did we do? Boy, you know, it, it, there's a lot of things like that that you don't really think about. You have to basically purge. And um, that's a tough thing because we all get attached to, you know, people, pets, cars, things, houses. And um, there's the emotion that comes with that, of course. Um, but hopefully that's um, well and truly overwhelmed um, by the concept of, of the excitement uh, for the move itself. That leaves a great transition because some of the emotional things, like, I mean, these are things like I wouldn't even think about, oh yeah, like, what do you do? I mean, what if, what if you do, how do you get a pet across, you know, the ocean or, or, uh, you know, take care of those small little items? Like, yeah, you're right. Like you're not taking a car necessarily <laughs> over, over, um, especially if they're not even driving on the right side of the road, there's no way. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, uh, that leads into some of the, some of the mental preparedness, you know, especially for you as a leader, because obviously, you know, your family's going to be dealing with a lot and, uh, you're going to be le- trying to lead the you can and uh, but you have to lead yourself as well you have to lead yourself um, in getting set up um, so how did you begin to prepare yourself because you're not just moving for fun like obviously this is this is a move um, because you were you're being elevated into a, a place of leadership uh, within an organization and you know so you're going into that you know so how do you prepare how did you begin to prepare mentally uh, to be effective like Day one, you know, I'm I want to come in and I just want to be effective. I'm not going to like come in with with an iron fist. I just I just want to be the best leader I can, um, and I want to be effective. Day one, what did that preparation for you mentally look like? I had the benefit of doing a um, a house hunting slash get to meet your team type trip, and most people would do that, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't go someplace in the world never having been there usually. Um, and and I had the benefit of meeting my team, so. I had all their development plans documented um, by my predecessor. I had their performance reviews. I knew their jobs, what they did, how they fit into the bigger puzzle. 
Um, and with the opportunity to transition with my predecessor, I understood, you know, the role, some of the key issues and so on. And I really spent the time to understand those and prepare um, during the transition period. Uh, Cause I did want to hit, you, you always want to hit the ground running, right? You, you just do. And um, so I learned as much as I could about the people, the business, my role, and admittedly as much preparation as you do, it's never really enough or the right preparation because things happen. Right. And, um, and, and, and immediately things change, but I think you, you have to, and I did um, prepare myself in that way. The globe is a very colorful place. It's full of such rich culture, uh, mm. so many different ways of, of experiencing life, doing business. Um, but that comes with a lot of challenges when all you know, for, for me, for instance, you know, all I know is the United States and the way United States does business and the way United States interacts, you know, but then going to Singapore, for example, and realizing that there's sometimes that, you know, if you extend your hand out to someone, especially women, um, and they don't extend your hand, hand back, that's not an offensive thing. It's more actually, it's it shouldn't be seen as, being offended if they don't want to shake your hand because that's just a cultural thing of reverence or respect. Um, yes. and, and so, you know, how did you, you know, prepare for those or, you know, what were there things that kind of took you off, you know, got you off of, um, that you weren't expecting, um, as you assimilated within different cultures? Sure. So I, I've had the privilege to live in, um, three other countries, um, Australia for about 20 years, New Zealand for a year, and and now Singapore for about a year and a half. Um, every one of them is different. Every And then there are subcultures within cultures. You know, you may go to a part of Sydney where um, people are, you know, it's a Pakistani or a Lebanese or whatever community, and and the, the values and so on may be slightly different um, because it's pockets of culture and a bigger culture. And I think um, when I, I fully admit that when I first landed in Australia, I was Mike from America and here I am. And uh, I quickly learned that Australians, um, they may look the same and everything's in English. And yes, you drive on the other side of the road and you know there are a few subtleties, but until you open your mouth, you're an Australian. And the second you do, you're not. And you need to fit in quickly or else you stand out. And, um, and it isn't necessarily a, an issue of of changing who you are, but I think it's being open to, to learning. And the beautiful part of that is um, you get to experience it in a much richer level. If you just open your mind and your heart to locals, to local customs, to, um, and, and that goes beyond business, but just, um, you know, just trying to, to make mistakes and um, embracing them and laughing sometimes because that's the part of, of it that you must you must embrace or else it's going to be painful. Yeah, and I think that leads to a really interesting question about how – you know, it's a balance. It seems like there's a, there's a balancing act of, you know, you don't want to be too sensitive where you're walking on eggshells around everyone and you're not being effective because you're not trying because yeah. you're, you're too afraid you're going to offend someone or offend the culture and it's going to blow over into big proportions, which never does because our worries always get the best of us um, versus, you know, just coming in guns blazing like, oh, I'm like you said, I'm Mike from America. Here I am. I was put in this place and here I go. You know, they, there, there is a balance in between. Um, you know, how did you kind of hone in on that? balance you know how did how were you able to kind of you know give yourself permission to laugh at yourself when you made a mistake or you know kind of even smooth things over maybe if you did offend someone you didn't really didn't even mean mean to because like we're all trying to get to know each other you know when you step on yourself you need to quickly 
um, assess because you can tell from people's facial expressions or their bodily expressions if you've really entered the wrong space. And um, and it's sometimes I find it easiest to just say, I seem to have offended you. Um, you know, I really apologize. I meant no offense. Um, this is all part of my learning. And and then eventually by, by being honest and transparent um, and human about it, you can overcome that. And I think another thing that I've done is um, specifically, I sort of um, pulled one local close in everywhere I've been in order to have that person be my feedback and my radar. And uh, it's a difficult job for them. But if you can develop that relationship with someone quickly to give you honest and transparent feedback and steering, then, then you can, you can um, sort of embrace it quicker, navigate uh, those awkward moments more quickly um, by, you know, basically having uh, somebody tell you. And if in the absence of that, you just have to have your antenna up. Um, you know, when you've stepped in something that doesn't smell right and, uh, or you've said something that doesn't feel right, you can tell from people's reactions. And I think it's um, being humble. It's being empathetic. It's listening. It's observing before you talk. Um, I've had to learn those skills over the years, but those are some of the things that I think have made it a really rich experience. You know, and as you begin to plant roots and settle in abroad, um, sometimes things happen back in the States when you, when you do leave family and, you know, whether that be, uh, family illnesses, uh, family deaths, maybe be big yep. celebrations, like big weddings, big, big, you know, the, the highs and the lows, you know, that we take for granted at times, if, if you know, if you're like my parents live four hours away, if something happens, Hey, it's not that big of a deal to, to drive four hours, you know, take care of things being in Australia. I mean, that's at least a 12, 13 hour plane ride just to get in, you know, to the States and then all the logistics getting in. So yes. how, how are you able to, you know, for people maybe that are, that are wrestling with, man, I just don't know how I'm going to deal with certain situations. I don't know how I'm going to deal with um, things back home, or maybe people are broad right now and they're just struggling with how how do I help or how do I address problems back in the United States when I'm so far abroad? How did you work through um, some of those issues? We, we were blessed to have the opportunity to attend most of the family weddings um, along the way. There have been probably four or five over, over 20 years. Um, our kids fortunately were at an age where we didn't have to have the logistics of bringing them to a place to get married. Um, you know, that they'll do that on their own. Right. Um, we, we actually have had a fair few deaths, um, in the last 18 months, three of our four parents. Um, and, um, you know, you, it, it, it is something that is painful and it's hard, but it would be painful and hard from one mile away or 10,000 miles away. And um, I think the the real thing is it's maybe not the event itself. It's the, it's what leads up to that. You miss, unless you're blessed to be able to travel for, you know, uh, months at a time, you will miss the illness. Um, and you, you might get a call, you know, here it is. And um, it's hard to prepare for that and getting a little emotional just thinking about it. But um, you know, the reality is you, you have to, sort of harden yourself to appreciate that um, you may not be there for all of the rich experiences along that journey, but hopefully you can be there for the big events. And um, hopefully those are the celebratory events rather than those that are, um, you know, on the other side of, of life. So I, I think it, it, it comes down to just, you know, realizing that that's part of the equation that you might miss some of those day-to-day -day things. You, you might not be there for the first communion for your niece or nephew or your godchild or, or some other religious event that might be significant. And, and you just say, well, that's just part of my journey and, um, and I have to get on with it. 
you know, as you sit there and, and, and think back, um, what do you think were some of the hardest things you had to overcome maybe that you weren't expecting early on or you know as you do all this preparedness like we like you said before I think you said it beautifully was you know sometimes we prepare over prepare but we never prepare enough because there's always things that are going to happen that we just never knew even existed um you know so as kind of from where you sit and all the moves you've made what was some of the hardest um things you had to overcome or work through um as a leader I think part of being a leader in a in a business environment is you you have to give honest feedback and coaching and um, that's harder in a multicultural environment. I, I take the environment I'm in now where I I manage um, eight countries, so I have eight CFOs. I have um, other markets that are what we call distribution markets, so we have partners but not CFOs. And each of those is especially in Southeast Asia is a very different culture and, and different languages as well. And um, everything we do is now digital because of COVID, right? So it's all, it's all remote. Um, it's really hard to coach and give feedback and so on in that kind of an environment. And that has been, I don't want to say a landmine, but certainly an area where I have really had to be careful what I say say it in an appropriate way, structure my conversations, keep it really simple, right? Because English is not a first language in any of these markets. So, um, you know, you know, keep things simple. Don't get long-winded like maybe I am now um, because you need the message to come across crisp, clear, and succinct. Speaking of coaching, um, how would you coach, let's say someone listening now is getting ready to... Uh, move abroad there, you know, they either got that promotion, they got that job. They've been always wanting to go work at another country or they're just curious. They're thinking they're trying to do some of these equations. Is this something I want to explore? You know, as, as a coach, uh, being able to coach someone, you know, what expectations do you think a lot of these leaders should have, um, when some making some of these decisions on what it's really like? I think we start with, um, why do you want to move? You need to understand someone's motivators. And if it's just because I, I want to travel and I want to experience things, you know, if that's the only reason you want to do it, then maybe you should do that on your passport and go do it on a, a visitor visa. But if you really want to dive into the culture and you've made that decision to dive in, you need to have the mindset of, of this is what I'm going to go do and I'm going to embrace it and um, live in it for a while. I admit that when I go to a new place, um, I'm working there more than, say, my wife, who actually lives there. So it'd be interesting to do a podcast with the spouse of an expat, right? Um, because she has to live there and it's a different experience. Um, but the coaching would probably be around what does success look like for you in, in, a, um, in a work and a personal context? Because there is no, you, you can't really pull them apart. You need to have them in the same conversation. So what does success look like? How open are you to making mistakes, to laughing at yourself, to, to learning? Let's, let's talk about um, what you're going to experience and be prepared. I think people need to go in eyes wide open. And, um, you know, we, we have the benefit today of being able to experience travel right from our laptop. But it just isn't the same when you, when you splash on the salt and pepper of culture around the world. You know, finally, as we begin to wrap up, as you look back and reflect and uh, think about, you know, all the moves you've made, you know, from Australia to Singapore and, you know, everywhere in between, you know, is there anything you would have done differently? And if so, you know, what, what would that have looked like um, as you reflect back on um, all your amazing moves? 
And that's funny because I, I have both work things and personal things. I'll just share the personal ones first. We we moved to Australia. We left Lily, decided to become permanent residents, and then lost our job. And because it was a work visa, I had to move back to the U.S. I would have found a way not to move back to the U.S. because it cost me a lot of money and time and frustration. Um, so that would be one thing, I think. And, and maybe I summarize that by saying, be really clear about what you want. Um, because, you know, if one, it'll be hard and there'll be bumps, but if you have a vision, um, and you keep it on your horizon, it's always easier to navigate towards that vision. So understand clearly what it is you want out of it. And, um, you know, both professionally and personally, because that will be your guiding, um, force, if you will. Um, and, uh, again, I think you just have to have a, a sense of humor. Uh, about your the ability to laugh at yourself, the humility to um, to want to listen and experience, and um, you know um, part of this is for them to experience you too. So you don't want to just completely forget who you are. That's that to me is an absolute no no. You you bring a rich culture um, that is a gift to the people that you um, get to be joining in wherever it is that you are. So. Um, while I'm rambling a little bit, I can say it is a phenomenal experience and it takes preparation. Um, it takes time. It takes a lot of planning and thinking logistics, but I say go for it and figure out a way to make it happen because it is the best experience you will ever have in your professional and work um, life. Again, Mike Healy is the CFO for the Asia Cluster at Sandoz, a leader in offering access to generic and biosimilar medicines worldwide. Mike, such an honor to have you here on the ROI Podcast. Thanks, Matt. It's been a real pleasure. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.